0: It is June 19th, 2017, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to check out this podcast. My name is Nick Page. I'm going to be your host for this show. It is always a very scary and intimidating thing to start a new show. It's pretty challenging to start a new podcast, but I'm confident that we're going to be able to turn this into something that we're all going to really enjoy. The general premise for this show is going to be interviewing and sitting down and talking with some of the most amazing photographers that I can find. Photographers that really inspire me and hopefully inspire you guys as well. Because it is a new show, please go over to iTunes, rate and review the show. You can always go to landscapephotographypodcast.com and find the show notes there. Also, we're going to be creating a Facebook group in the coming weeks. That way we can all communicate with each other and continue the conversation there. Speaking of conversations, Earlier today, I talked with Erin Bobnick about growing as an artist and composition. Erin Bobnick is an amazing photographer. You can check her work out at erinbobnick.com. She teaches workshops around the world, including the French Alps, the Italian Dolomites, the Eastern Sierras, the California Redwoods, Death Valley. She teaches everywhere. She's getting ready to team up with Canon. She's releasing a book about composition great person to talk to about composition so sit back relax and enjoy the conversation that i had with aaron bobnick so composition is one of those things that i i have my battles with for sure sometimes i feel like i'm doing well Sometimes i it's just a constant struggle. Aaron, thanks for coming yeah. on. And I figured you were the perfect person to have on to have a conversation with about composition. So thanks for coming on.
1: Well, thanks for inviting me, Nick. I'm really excited about your new project here. And composition is actually one of those topics that's near and dear to me. So have it, lots to say about that. <laughs>
0: when, when, when I think of people that have something to say about composition, I think of Aaron Bobnick because your work is amazing. Oh, thank you. You know, when you look through Aaron's po- portfolio, first of all, you're you're blown away because it's all amazing. But you notice that composition is definitely an important part of your photography so I'm really excited to talk to you about this and plus I understand you're giving talks about it so it's probably fresh in your mind right now.
1: <laughs> yeah well you're very kind and yeah it is it is a topic of um, some talks that I've been doing for Canon. I've, I did one in San Francisco uh, last month or the month before and I've got another one coming up uh, in the LA area on this topic and my approach is actually a pretty big one and it's unusual in that I'm looking at composition from both a practical and a kind of historical and theoretical standpoint. So, how composition has not only um, sort of changed and morphed throughout time as as different media become uh, more developed, especially photography, but also just within like subgenres of photography, how there are differences and there are trends that kind of can nuance the way that an artist might approach composition because they tend to work differently in these different genres and categories
0: so that's fascinating for first of all like most people when I talk composition with them we never really get historical with it <laughs> that's,
1: yeah that's awesome No, I go all the way back to Sumerian sculpture and well me we'll, too
0: anytime I'm composing a shot I always think what would the Sumerians do
1: <laughs> well you will go far <laughs> that's, that's your attitude. that's really interesting no no I just uh yeah no I just you know I just pull up these examples in, in the talk and um yeah and I, I think people are finding them pretty useful because it it puts things into perspective
0: like as you look back through history you know, obviously, there's trends and stuff. I, well, I guess let's let's just dive into this. Like, what what are some of the most popular trends that are no longer popular now that you can think of?
1: Well, um, one of the things that I bring up in my talk is this uh, book that I found that's uh, actually sort of a um, very prescriptive um, textbook for our co- uh, composition in landscape photography. It dates to I forgot now, but I think it's early 20th century or late 19th century. So we're talking very early days of, of photography at all and especially with landscape photography and they have ideas in there that nowadays just run right against what we're doing in landscape photography. For example, um, although this is more to do maybe um, not specific to composition but it's related, the idea of where you should where you should have your focus, they advocate for not having, front-to-back focus you know they don't want that nowadays we're all about that you know we have yeah. focus stacking we go you know go to extremes to try to get things in into focus and in this book um they have they sort of um caution against it you know they're, they're, it's actually better to to have an open wide open aperture or whatever you know because the background will take care of itself and this sort of idea That's <laughs> but you know compositionally yeah i mean that puts the emphasis compositionally on the foreground. Mm -hmm. you know, which is um, not necessarily the way we think about things now. We're, we're, you know, we think a lot in terms of flow and transitions from the foreground to the background, you know, so it's a, it really is a different way of looking at at landscapes
0: but you know in a way that is it, it's still very successful to do that because like one one of the struggles of composition that i always find or that most people i think have is having a very clear subject and so if you're you know creating a shallow depth of field it makes your the subject of your photo a whole lot more obvious because it is the thing that is in focus <laughs> you know is right. not is not being taken away from by a distracting background of some kind
1: yeah absolutely
0: interesting
1: um I mean you know these things all um, are part of a sort of an organic unity that any photograph is so you, it's hard to kind of divorce the idea of the subject from the idea of of um, flow or any of these things because mm-hmm. they ultimately need to w- work together um, but yeah I mean that's where they're 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 coming from you know back then was you know something needs to be, the thing <laughs>
0: yeah yeah
1: which actually i don't actually believe that i think there are alternative ways of of composing that that's just one scheme is where you have um some kind of hierarchy i, I prefer to think of it in terms of hierarchy instead of the subject because i think that the word the subject tends mm-hmm. to confuse people they think you know that's what the, the the photo is about well it's about you know something else to me so if you just sort of bracket that idea out and think of it in terms just in hierarchy that you have your primary point of visual interest and then you have whatever might be secondary or tertiary. But if you have two things with equal weight, they tend to distract, you know, or tend to compete. You know, these basic principles are are, in my view, maybe a, a more helpful way of looking at it. So you have, you know, hierarchy.
0: And I imagine like, especially like now that we're in the digital age, as technology has changed, I imagine like some of the general rules of thumb, have definitely changed when it comes to composition, because a lot of times I see this a lot in people that are a part of photo clubs. If they shoot directly into the sun and then they take that to their photo club with a lot of the people that used to shoot lots of film, they just get hammered about like, you should never, ever shoot directly into the sun. That is just (laughs) a terrible thing to do. And they're they're like, you know, really amazing photographs that are just like thrown out of compositions or thrown out of competitions because they shoot directly into the sun. It's kind of funny.
1: It's those knee-jerk reactions, you know, that people have because... Probably because they, they did in some instance encounter a case where it was true that doing that didn't work. And so mm-hmm. they, you know, they just extrapolate from that, that it never works. <laughs> right, exactly. And then when they see it, they're like, okay, that can't work because I know that it didn't in that one instance. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that's the problem with, um, with a, a lot of anything that tends to be taken um, as a rule um, can be taken can't be pressed too hard because it's
0: not a rule it's a guideline you know it's Mm -hmm. it's giving people that are just getting started a a starting point like it's important to learn those general guidelines in the beginning because you're completely clueless in the beginning (laughs) like you know you're one step beyond like walking up to a giant overlook holding up your cell phone going click and then being like oh that's amazing right (laughs) so the next step is to learn some of those rules learn some of those guidelines so you you actually put some thought into your composition and then yeah you, I would yeah, yeah. I, I would
1: I totally agree there's a there's a funny quote by um Edward West and I think it's funny and, and I think people take this a little too seriously but it's now to consult the rules of composition before making a picture is a little like consulting the law of gravitation before going for a walk or something like <laughs> yeah. that that he said you know and and and, it, and I think that people like that because it gives them the sense of um, they don't have to look at rules at all or let's just call them aesthetic principles or whatever you want to call them rules sound so scary
0: yeah yeah exactly <laughs> like I don't want to break those rules yeah <laughs> exactly right. and so
1: um, I think a lot of people that you know hear these sorts of quotes and, and taken out of context or pressed too hard they can then go about doing exactly what you said and sort sort. Sort of not just sort of understand those principles, not work towards an understanding of them and then and then end up, you know, going the long way around to Mm -hmm. achieving, you know, quality, you know, compelling photographs.
0: I think. Like for me like my personal journey in composition like I started you know paying attention to the rules and guidelines and stuff and and kind of using that as a starting point but then after that it has to there's a point where it has to become like instinctual where you just do it because it feels right because yeah. every scene you walk up to is completely different and has a completely different set of problems, or you know, things that you have to overcome, or a completely different set of distractions. Mm-hmm. Um, one of one of my favorite things, or it's actually a book that I read from David. I always butcher his last name. Here we go, Dushman, Dushman, uh, David it's Dushman. I've heard Dushman. Okay, Dushman. Okay, <laughs> it's easier to read than to say. But uh, <laughs> he has a book called uh, Creating the Photograph or Making the Photograph or some, something along those lines. I don't know, yeah. He, he, he proposes a thought process when you come up to a scene and you're going to you know take a photograph and the things that i took away from that are like you you walk up to a scene and you think to yourself okay what is it about this scene that compels me to take a photograph why do i want to photograph this scene and then you kind of boil it down to your favorite parts of the scene Mm -hmm. and the 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 act of taking a photograph is uh very much about finding what you like and then the act of Post-processing a photograph, in my opinion, is figuring out what you hate. You know, what mm. what are the, <laughs> what is wrong with this ugly photo that's on my screen? And you try to, you know, you're trying to overcome problems. But when you're taking a photograph, you boil it down to what is helping the photograph, what you like about the photograph, and then try to illuminate everything else that you can.
1: Um, that, yeah, that's great advice. And I, and I like that way of thinking about it. I, I once wrote an article for Photocascadian where I said that in my view processing really is the is putting together two strategies. One is doing whatever you can to help the composition. And two is doing whatever you can to add character or mood. You know, basically you're doing one of those two things, Mm -hmm. you know, everything kind of lumps into those two categories, but you've just put it the other way around, you know, anything, take out the stuff you don't like that um, gets in the way of the composition is another way of putting it. Yeah.
0: Right. And, And like when you're in the field and you're taking a photograph, Um, You're in a completely different place, you know, mentally than when you're reviewing it later on, like in the in the moment, you know, the light is beautiful and the birds are Mm -hmm. singing and the angels are singing and everything is just wonderful. You know, you see everything you look at just looks so photogenic and you look at it on the (laughs) bottom back of your screen and it just looks so amazing. And like everything, everything is just wonderful. And then you take it back to your computer and you're like, how did I screw that up? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah. it, it just doesn't give you the same feeling that you had at, the, at that time. So when you're in the field, one of the things I always try to do is be as critical as I can manage, because that's usually a struggle for me when the light is good and you feel like, oh man, this is all just money. But then you get back and you realize it wasn't.
1: Yeah. And another thing that I like to do is if I if I do feel as though I'm in the ballpark with the composition, I like to write it out for a while because just, you know, the way that light can change or clouds can move or whatever can really just make a composition absolutely sing. It'll be that that decisive moment, you know, and you may not even recognize it at the time. So you have to kind of just, you know, keep at it and keep working it. And you may think you've got something great, but oftentimes it's the you know it's the next moment that's actually even better Um, that that too comes up in the talk that I give when I talk about Cartier-Bresson and and the decisive moment because uh, it's really similar in landscape photography this idea that um, you, you know you're finding just just that that moment but it's also true and this is something that people don't Always um, know about Cartier Bresson is that um, he, there's actually this myth about him that he he did something like he only took one picture every four hours or something like that. He was really selective and he would just like nail the moment when the guy in the hat jumps over the puddle or whatever. And it's actually not true. We, you know, we have a lot of his contracts. Contact sheets, and he worked a moment just like anyone else. Uh, David Ward, when he interviewed me after the On Landscape conference, actually pointed this out that um, uh, some uh, critic had once said that really the, the decisive moment was when Cartier-Bresson pointed to a contact sheet and said, "Print that one." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because he famously didn't do his own printing, so you know. Right. So I, I I also encourage people to just you know be be patient with the composition. If you feel like you're close, you may not have it. You know, um, and you may not even recognize it until you get back to the computer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you, you may not have it unless you kind of write it out and you may not recognize it until later anyway. So just kind of stick with it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like if you're looking for the the peak moment of of light, sometimes you don't know when that's happening until it's gone. Like mm-hmm. the, the light dies and you're like, oh. Well, it must have already happened. And you gotta—you have <laughs> to make that sure too. that you're shooting all the way through that process yeah. because sometimes the light can just drastically change and it's gone forever. And mm-hmm. if you weren't taking photos during that, you didn't come home with photos. You yeah, or those. the
1: light will hit something and balance out your composition in a yeah. way that it didn't quite, you know, a moment before or the clouds will do something. You know that that just totally adds that compositional you know cherry on the top.
0: Mm-hmm. And you you talk about like kind of writing out a composition, and that I th- I totally agree that's important. But the key to that to making that work is to get there early enough to where you have lots of time to explore all the different possibilities for composition. One of the things that Majid Adigan always says is that should not let your tripod grow roots. And it's true (laughs) because like you get up to a scene and so often when you've set up your tripod and you start to set up, you lose your motivation to keep moving and to keep exploring the important thing is to get there before the light happens that way you explore kind of all the little Mm -hmm. compositional possibilities and you end up settling on one and that one is the one that you need to stick with like you said during the best light
1: yeah i mean and that's the other side of the coin is that you know usually nature throws curveballs anyway and so you're doing the mad dash or anything but if you've already kind of been there and you've kind of thought it through and you know what it is that you're after um, or at least you know you're kind of attuned to seeing uh your chances are a lot better that when you do that mad dash yeah exactly (laughs) you're gonna
0: you're gonna gonna land somewhere good yeah one of the things that i like to do is i'll get there early well okay in theory a lot of times i'll get there early enough i don't always get there early enough but when i do get there early enough um i like to kind of get several compositions in mind that way like Mm because sometimes Sometimes a particular composition is very dependent on direct light, you know, the the sun actually hitting your foreground or hitting your main subject whatever it is interacting with the foreground. But then other compositions are not as dependent on that and maybe they're dependent on sky interest. So like I'll, I'll get that shot in mind where, okay, when the, before the sun goes below the horizon, I'll get this shot. And then as soon as that happens, I have this other composition in mind where I'll quickly go over, get set up and I'll go over to that second composition. That way I can go home with two good photos rather than, than just the one.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, ultimately, a lot of landscape photography is just thinking on your feet, is yeah. seeing and responding. But the more that you've you've kind of you know opened up a, a relationship with a place, explored it, and started to understand it, the better off you're going to be when that moment comes when you're oh really the lights over there. <laughs> right. And, exactly. And you need to you need to you know you want to work with that or whatever. I have a really uh, an example that I use up uh, uh, a lot. On this topic is um, one where I was exploring this area with uh, that has a lot of mud tiles and I'd come across these arcing patterns in, in the in some tiles that made this kind of um, arc, arc shape And I thought well that's really cool I wish I could do something with that but the background just offered nothing to kind of complete the composition and so I just sort of, you know, made note of it. But I'd been walking around thinking about things, and then uh, later on that morning, after I'd um, already uh, uh, shot something else, this huge rainbow shows up, double rainbow, right in that du- that direction, and it and it totally echoed the shape of mm, those cool. arcing mud tiles, and I and I remembered them because I'd seen them. So I just I ran over there, <laughs> but I knew where to run to use the rainbow. You know,
0: there's nothing worse than when the light is happening and you have nothing to put with that light and that just comes from either getting to a place late or completely being unprepared for that light to happen (laughs) i I can (laughs) totally relate with that feeling because um, I feel like that's pretty much every time I go out and shoot. Like sometimes I'll be totally ready and I'll have all these compositions set up, and then the light just doesn't happen. And then there's other times where I'm not expecting the light to happen, and it happens, and then I'm like, okay, I just need something. Give me a rock or anything.
1: Like <laughs> it's a horrible feeling. I yeah. know.
0: Like maybe this rock is a good, you know, interesting enough foreground, and yeah. it's just not. But you're yeah. just trying to make something out of nothing. Uh, one of the things that I definitely am. I struggle with is I get in these ruts where I feel like my compositions are just the same ideas and the same compositions over and over and over. And a lot of times it's like the, the ultra simple composition where I have like my foreground element, my background element, and a cool sky. And I end up just doing the same things over and over and over. It kind of burns me out to be honest, but yeah. what advice do you have for people that are struggling with stuff like that when you're really struggling and uninspired with your own uh, compositions.
1: Yeah. Um, my advice is similar to um, what I would tell people who feel as though they're overly um, so-called influenced by other photographers and they can't get something out of their head, you know, like a, some other photography. Um, but if it's your own photography, you are trying to get out of your head or a rut like that or something. It's the same idea where you're actually concentrating on what you don't want to do instead yeah. of what you do and and it's never really very productive if you're working on if you're focusing on something that you want to get away from you're still working in relation to that something and so it's usually best to work towards something yeah. rather than away and not to focus on that and and that's why i think the importance of play and well, that's why I think the play is really important in the creative process. You basically, you just need to do what you do that you think is fun and just go do that and not worry about the fact that maybe you're repeating yourself or you're repeating someone else. Uh, eventually, if you just work through things that interest you, you follow your own nose, chances are you're going to come out someplace that is uniquely you. And as long as you just keep at it, um, you will, you will reinvent yourself. Because you're you're always evolving and, and moving in you know your direction then.
0: It's kind of funny that like when you get really serious about photography and you and you feel like you've come a long ways and and you're proud of your work and you know you get all those nice comments on social media and stuff, the better you feel that you are, the more pressure you put on yourself to only create amazing photos. Mm, and, yeah. and that pressure, that you put on yourself is just a huge burden. You know, yes. like when I go out and I know that there's a good photograph there and I just can't figure out how to make it. That is so hard on the self-esteem because mm. you know that man, if Enrico Fassati was here, <laughs> he w- he would come away with something <laughs> epic, but Oh no, Nick page can't do that. You know? And I, I get that feeling sometimes and it's just, it's just everyone the, does. Yeah. And it's just the burden of, Having expectations that you expect yourself to make rather than making it fun, like you said, and and having play because, you know, in order to be creative, it doesn't matter whether we're talking photography or music or art. You have to have fun. You yep, know, yep. you're in so much more of a creative place when you're smiling rather than exactly. when you're serious.
1: Yeah. Yes. If you're just getting down on yourself, it makes it very difficult mm-hmm. to to think creatively. Yep. Yeah. And, and and I mean, just for what it's worth, you know, I've had this conversation with a lot of my friends, many of which who are some of who I think are some of the top photographers and landscape photographers in the world. And, the, and they hit exactly these points, you know. Uh, It happens to everyone that, um, you know, you come to this, this point where you you get, just get down on yourself. And, uh, and, and the only way out of it is to, is to just, uh, go out and have, have a good time, let loose, let the creative mind out to play and tell and, and if that means using your phone for a day, you know, just to say, okay, I'm letting go of, you know, the pressure of the big kid or whatever it is, maybe, you know, it's, it's, um, it's doing some other type of um, medium, you know, painting mm-hmm. or something, you know, just something to say, OK, this doesn't matter because it's not my real work. And, th- and that usually can lead to something really fruitful.
0: You know, on my workshops, a lot of times what I see with some of my students is that it, a lot of times it's just the gear that gets in the way. They get so obsessed with the technical side of things like, OK, I've got my polarizing filter. I've got my tripod i've got you know all of these different things and they're focused so hard uh. on the hardware part of things the software that's going on in their mind <laughs> is not even thinking yeah. about what's in front of them they're they're yeah. focused on their gear rather than the scene and just kind of exploring and having fun so um you know in their earlier stages uh, just knowing your gear well enough to where when you go out to take photos, it's not getting in the way anymore.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Where you can just get it, get it out of the way. Yeah. I mean, there there are people who that is kind of gear is their way in to photography yeah. and they'll tell you right away that they're gear heads and they love it and they're fascinated with it or they were and that's how they got in. And, you know, however someone gets into photography, I just think it's great that they're enjoying it. You know, usually what happens with these people is they they at some point reach that 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 moment where they need something more, you know, the, the, the the lust for the gear only takes them so far. And, and then they do want to sort of branch out and explore creativity and, and um, aesthetics and all the rest of it. And the gear absolutely can you know, be an impediment, it can also, ironically, be the thing that kind of breaks things up uh, for someone. Sometimes just Mm -hmm. getting that, you know, 600 millimeter lens or whatever is the thing that makes someone start to do something utterly different than what they've done before. So it does go both ways.
0: Kind of like any skill set or endeavor, you always have to kind of pick on your weak points. Like if you are the technical person that is very technically oriented and you got all of your gear down, a lot of times you just struggle with being creative in general. And then mm-hmm. then, then you have the complete opposite. You have the people r- rolling around on the ground, yeah, taking <laughs> pictures from like crazy angles and they're having fun. But the technical side is just not there. Mm-hmm. Those people need to focus a little bit more on the technical side. So you always have to kind of balance your strengths by working on your weaknesses. And a lot of times that can open up new doors as well, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, on the one hand, you know, you, I, I prefer, I'm more of a big picture kind of photographer and you I'll i be the first person to say, you know, if, if what you need to do is shoot that handheld or shoot that at, you know, some really like F-22 and, and just deal with the diffraction in order to get that shot, get that shot. you know.
0: Right. But, exactly.
1: Uh, you know, if, if you're, if you're, you're totally undisciplined or you, or you're just kind of lazy, you know, then yeah. that's going to come back and bite you too.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah,
1: it is a balancing
0: act. And then there's that saying, you know, F8 and forget it, like where you, right. you basically, yeah. you- rather than uh, or f8 and b there is actually what f8 i think and it B there yeah. yeah where you know you you kind of get the technical side out of the way just so you can capture the moment and uh, not only the moment but you know explore the scene and explore what's in front of you because if you're getting so hung up on your settings and and your camera and stuff you're not going to spend enough time um, exploring composition and and experimenting with composition you know like i said there's the person rolling around on the ground they're doing nothing but exploring with composition. And then they take these amazingly composed shots that are not technically sound. And then you have the person standing up with their tripod at full height and taking a shot from, you know, eye level that will be technically sound, but not creative.
1: Right. And there there (laughs) has to
0: be that balance because interestingly enough, photography is this perfect balance or maybe not perfect balance, but it's a balance between Uh, technology and art. And there has to be both.
1: Yeah, and I think it ultimately, it also comes down to really wanting it. And, and any of these things, whether it's on the technological side or the art side or whatever it is, wherever people tend to kind of get tripped up, it's usually the thing they don't really want to do. Yeah. So maybe they don't like chair time. So they don't want to do any processing yes, or they, you know, exactly. they don't want to get down on their knees because it's uncomfortable or <laughs> or they don't want to go out in the cold. <laughs> so, they're, yeah. so they're going to go when it's warmer, even though that's not a good time to go for whatever it is they're shooting or, you know, the, uh, those sorts of things are, are ultimately ultimately or usually i should say are what tend to um, get in the way of of producing that shot that's that much better
0: there has to be there has to be kind of that trifecta of not only technically sound and creative but there has to be that post-processing element as well to kind of bring out the full potential of the photos that they do take and yeah. when you when you look at the you know the biggest best most amazing photographers like Aaron, it's because oh. there's that trifecta like the, all three elements are there they they explore the scene, they capture it technically sound and they post-process it and milk out the full potential of those photos.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and they, and they do it to, you know, they, they do it to a, a high level, you know, and yeah. all those things that that's the other, this is a point of one of the, the talks that I used to give. I've retired now, but you know, you, you got to, craftsmanship matters. And, um, if you have an idea, you should go big with it. And these are these are related concepts that on all of these these points that, um you know, you get out of it what you put in yeah. and uh, you got to find where, where are your weaknesses? You know, be, and they're usually because you just don't want to do it. Yep, <laughs> that's, just, that's exactly <laughs> it. Try to overcome that.
0: Yep, absolutely. <laughs> so, Aaron, what what kinds of stuff do you have coming up? What workshops and stuff do you have coming up?
1: Oh, I have a lot of stuff coming up. Um, I'm really excited to be doing an all new workshop program in the French Alps. It's completely unique. Something that Enrico Fassati and I have been working on for a long time. We're finally giving it its first run. And that starts uh, at the end of this week. And um, and then I have my my usual dolomite series. So I've got one of those with um, Alexander Deschamps, French photographer, and uh, one with Chip Phillips from Photo Cascadia, uh, and then another one that um, I'm teaching uh, on my own. And uh, after that, you and I are going to be teaching mm-hmm. in Acadia together, and that'll be really fun. Yeah, and, we're gonna um,
0: we're gonna be at the oh. Out of Acadia National Park, which I think is sold out now. There's gonna yeah, be I think it is a lot of really cool people at that. Thomas yeah. Eaton. Uh, mm-hmm. A whole bunch of people. Brian Peterson. Yep. Juan Pons, Totally looking forward to that.
1: But a couple of things that I have going that are that are new and different and that I'm looking forward to um, are uh, I'm doing a workshop with uh, Canon. This is not yet announced, but um, I'll just let people know it's going to be a really cool, unique workshop in Death Valley where... Uh, I'll be leading it, but I will have Canon representatives. They're sponsoring it. And so they're bringing a Canon Pro printer. So at the end of the processing nice. session, everyone will get one to two free prints uh, um, from the workshop. And they will also have on hand a whole load, a raft of Canon gear that people can experiment with. Nice. So there's that. Yeah, it's, uh, it should be really fun. And then the other one that's kind of new and, and different is um, also not announced uh, is um, a workshop that I've been doing with Michael Shanebloom on time-lapse photography and mm-hmm. fine art photography and their relationships uh to each other so we're we're looking at you know time-lapse as you know a series of stills which it is and the whole issues of creativity storytelling a composition um that are that the two share so it's a A workshop that should appeal to both people and it's another one of these really unique things that i'm excited about
0: and talk about (laughs) talk about learning from some of the best michael shane bloom's time lapses are yeah absolutely epic like top top of the game stuff um so where can people find out more about you and all these workshops um,
1: well, since a lot of this isn't announced right now, um, I would recommend signing up for my newsletter, but you can do that on my website and anything that is listed will be there as well. That's a really good place to go. And also PhotoCascadia, as always, um, is a, is a great resource for anything going on with any of us in the PhotoCascadia team.
0: Awesome. So we'll look, put links in the show notes to both PhotoCascadia.com and isn't it dot com. or is That's that That's it. Thank you for coming on, Aaron. Thanks for having me, Nick. And thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.